Good afternoon, Team Crew Lab community, and welcome back to a, uh, we've got a rapid fire back-to-back -back episode of Down the Rabbit Hole on the Russia-Ukraine war here, and we're very fortunate to be able to, to offer this. It's sort of a, a high-tempo, um, unique opportunity because our guests today are actually on location, um, certainly much closer than we are right now to where the conflict is, and uh, in their travels, they can share some, uh, some firsthand perspectives from what they've been seeing over there. So as always, I'm Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Kulak Center. And we have Dr. Yuval Weber, our Russia SME here, as always with us as well. And then today we're we're fortunate to be joined by two Team Kulak members, who uh, one of whom we've seen before, but the other, this is his first time. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll sort of, you know, get him in, get dip the toe in here first before we throw him in the deep end. But it's great that we have, uh, we got a, a wide swath of Team Kulak here. So our first guest here is Dr. Amin Tarzi. He's the, been the director of Middle East Studies at Marine Corps University for uh, for certainly longer than the Kulak Center has been around. Um, he's, he's been sharing his perspective on uh, aspects of the Middle East and Mediterranean for many years here to the benefit of our students. We've also got Major John Behrman, who is our director for the Center for Regional and Security Studies. And they are both live with us from Athens, Greece, as part of uh, um, a work-related work travels over there. Um, but Dr. Tarzi, he was actually in Turkey shortly before he was over here in Greece. And so uh, he's, like I said, firsthand accounts and perspective from a key key player here um, who sort of straddles both camps um, in, in the ongoing war in Ukraine. So gentlemen, great to have you all again. You've all great to see you for the what second time in 48 hours here. Um, can't get enough of it. It's great stuff. So uh, welcome. And you've all turned over to you to sort of set the stage here with our guests. So great. So uh, thank you, Ian. And, you know, yes, yes, us uh, to you guys in Greece. Uh, so, I mean, take it away. Uh, so obviously, you know, for those, Tarzi has a wealth of experience in the security issues of broader uh, Europe and Eurasia. And obviously the area around Turkey, Black Sea, Eastern Mediterranean is a topic of special expertise for Dr. Tarzi. So I just wanna say, and in effect, how's your trip going with a special, so a special emphasis on what have you learned, in, particularly in your time in Turkey, on how Turkey, Turkey is handling um, the war in Ukraine? And obviously there's been a lot going on Part of it is uh, Turkey closed the Bosphorus Straits to Russian warships, which has prevented um, Russia from doing naval resupplies, which has kept Ukraine safe to some extent, but also uh, Turkey is buying stolen Ukrainian grain. So it's going in a couple different directions. You know, Turkey under Erdogan, as always, is following, in effect, an independent foreign policy. Um, so what have you learned uh, recently and how have you assessed the security around the region has changed? in the past uh, several months of this conflict. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Weber, you all. Uh, I think we are past uh, Kalisera, we are Kalidikta. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, night here. Uh, for uh, both Turkey and Greece, the country we are in right now, I think uh, for Turkey much more, so we start with, with, with Turkey, as, as you, your question was there. They have, uh, been handling the war in Ukraine in a uh, trying to first and foremost, this is important, is to get uh, 
benefits from it as much as it, they can. You mentioned the fact that uh, they invoked the Montreal Convention. Here, Turkey shows to the Western Alliance that they are a responsible ally. Here, they can do that. More importantly, not only are they responsible, they can show the Western Alliance, specifically NATO, what an asset it is that Turkey has based on the Montreal Convention that it, it actually can, you know, has the right to block uh, once a war is declared. There's a lot of loopholes, but the fact that they can do that uh, and, and make the Black Sea uh, inaccessible, uh, new material coming in. This also means, of course, that NATO cannot bring in ships, let's say, to a NATO ally there, but, but at least the Russians cannot uh, supply their ships. So it, it shows that Turkey cannot be overlooked, not only that it is the second largest army within NATO, it has a strategic position that is, is, is very unique. And this is, without saying it, it is being emphasized on the position of Turkey geopolitically. Also, it shows responsibility. So this is one. You mentioned the, the issue of, of grain. Turkey is highly dependent on uh, food products, specifically grains from there, but also in fuel products. Uh, the fuel is coming mainly from, 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 from Russia. For Turkey to right now stop receiving uh, those supplies would be very detrimental, given the fact that Turkey has a, an inflation rate that officially is one thing, but, but at the bazaars, let's put it that way, the world is 70% plus. Uh, when you have an inflation that that high, the, the value of the Turkish lira has, has fallen. Right now, it's, 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 yesterday it was about $17 to a, to a lira. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago when it was almost one to one. So that, that's a major drop of a currency uh, with the Turkey. So the Turkey cannot afford to uh, join in into a, a, a sanctions regime, if you would, uh, as countries that are less dependent on Turkish, uh, sorry, on Russian uh, supplies are. So, but beyond that dependency or interdependency, I do not think that the Turkey wants to cut off relationship with Russia. Uh, as I left uh, Istanbul this morning, there was an air float plane there, the, the Russians there, not as much as uh, Turkey wants. Turkey is highly dependent on Russian tourists. Uh, Turkey uh, wants them back. Russian tourists are good for, for Turkey for many reasons. Number one, Turkey has removed all visas for the past few years for Russians to come in there. And Russians are, are known to spend a lot of money. They're buying property. When they're there, they spend a lot of money. They're not the tourists on the cheap. When they come in, they, they actually lavish themselves into all their luxuries that Turkey can offer. Them not being there, uh, I was in a resort town in the south of Turkey for a few days of, of personal vacation. And, and and what I was hearing from, from the hoteliers, I said, what is going on? I said, well, the Russians are not here. Therefore, the hotel prices have gotten cheap. Airbnb has stopped because Airbnb was what the Turks themselves would take. And the hotels in the high end would go to the Russian and Ukrainian too, the, but, but mainly Russian, but some Ukrainian. And they said, now the Russians are not coming. So the hotels have gotten so cheap that the Turks are actually preferring to go to the hotels. These are things that you hear in the bazaar, in the streets. 
and, and the Airbnbs are not coming in. So these are direct economic effects at a time where the Turkish economy is bad. On top of all of that, Turkey has an upcoming election, uh, a presidential election, uh, in a time that the president, uh, Recep Erdogan, may think he is vulnerable. Uh, because when you look at his, his almost 20 years in power, where he has scored the highest is on the economy. And, and, and that is right now not, not paying off. And, and he senses a vulnerability. So he cannot afford right now to go into this election period with a rampant uh, inflation. That's not all, forget again, I'm throwing all of this to see that it's very convoluted. Turkey is also selling one of the more effective weapons. Uh, I know it's symbolic, but the Bayraktar is, is being sold. Uh, symbolically, I think the company even gave or donated one to Ukraine as a, as a gift. So there's, they're trying to play both sides. The question here is, how long can Turkey play this without having to choose one side or being forced to choose one side? And, and secondly, because of what they're happening in NATO right now with, with Turkish opposition to, to the application of uh, Finland and Sweden, is this playing it too hard? These are questions that I think for Russia, that this is, this is, you know, this is very, very music to Russia, Moscow's ears when they see Turkey opposing the uh, application of Finland and, and Sweden. So how long can, can, can Ankara play this balancing act, if you would, or, or you know, playing on both sides uh, is, is important. And, and I think that's, that would determine Turkey's either an effective power playing the right way, and of course, looking at its own uh, uh, interest, or uh, Turkey faltering and finding itself in a, in a bind. And that, that, I think, regardless of what really happens on the ground in, in Ukraine, as long as, as far as the war is continuing, I think for, for Turkey, the time, that time period is in the next six, seven months, if the war doesn't end by that time. Uh, you know, there's more, but I don't want to keep on talking in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, monologue. So I kind of talked through a lot on Turkey, but there's, there's many things churning right now. Uh, and then, of course, there's Turkey-Greece issue, which is, which is important, and Russia's role there, but I will leave those for, for later discussions. Okay, so there's, there's, there are many interesting points in there. And so just one thing to pause is to think at 70% inflation, just think, you know, in the, here in the U.S., President Biden is struggling in the seven to eight percent inflation, and this becomes like a topic of conversation. Seventy percent inflation is—we're not at Weimar Germany uh, levels, but it's—it seems to be one of the exits uh, along that particular highway. And so, you, one can then imagine if uh, that crushes basically the. Turkish economy, Turkish people, businesses, their ability to import things. And so therefore, whatever does come from from uh, from Ukraine, they're 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 definitely going to snap it up just to maintain normal living standards. So a question that uh, you raise in terms of you know, Turkish security interests for Erdogan personally being the you know the most important person possible being essentially a veto player, you know, a, a choke point by himself. 
is by itself worth something because it demonstrates that he's able to put Turkey on the international map. You mentioned in terms of NATO, uh, because of this conflict, the security calculus for many states have changed. Finland and Sweden have decided after uh, decades, if not in Sweden's case, uh, centuries of you know non-alignment uh, to officially go for uh, NATO membership. They apply for NATO uh, accession, um, and ahead of then, you know, and something that you know we've been tracking for a number of months. Their president, uh, President Ninisto, went to every single NATO member and got the the buy-in that there was going to be uh, unanimous consent for uh, NATO to accept Finland and Sweden. Finland and Sweden apply, and within NATO parlance, there. So in NATO, uh, as you know. Basically, everything is assumed to be already by consent, by unanimous consent, unless someone, quote, breaks the silence. And Turkey informed NATO that it was going to break the silence and veto, or at least not provide consent for Finland and Sweden to join. From your time there and from your studies across the larger region, can you explain to the, to the greatest extent possible both what were the origins of Erdogan's decision to break the silence, um, what it is that they're asking for, and basically how do you think this might play out? Uh, number one, I think, uh, is you said it, it, it puts Turkey in a place where Turkey matters. Uh, Turkey in the last several years has not been very happy by the way it was treated in the EU, uh, they thought they did most of the things that were required, uh, and they were pushed aside in other countries, which in, in Turkish perspective were not as ready uh, or admitted. Uh, they were pushed by the United States. They believed specifically with, with uh, there were many grievances with the US going back to the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Uh, that kind of started it, but but what happened with with uh, in Syria for Turkey that was almost a a, a the, the fact that the United States did not understand that YPG uh, the Syrian Kurds were the same as uh, the Kurds in, their, in, in Turkey uh, and basically a terrorist organization that that had a very raw nerve, so they felt that Turkey was not being listened to or respected. So this the NATO. And this is again more from you saying what I hear out there. I, do I I know exactly what how what went on in, in the halls of power and, and Ankara? No, absolutely not. Uh, but for what you hear is that the the reaction was, had again in the calculation of, of 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 President Erdogan, it had many things. One, it brought out the Kurdish question. Are there Kurdish leaders in, in those countries? Yes, but there are more in other countries in Europe. Than they are in Sweden and Finland, more importantly, this. So, it, 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 but the fact it is, it brings up this idea that Turkey was wronged with the Kurds, that Turkey has a legitimate problem of terrorists that have been killing Turks for several you know, decades. Uh, and and the, the PKK is a terrorist organization in, in most European countries, United States, yet all these countries look the other way. When, when the Syrian YPG came in, which 
And here the Turks have a point, they have a very valid point. There's not much a difference between the two organizations. They didn't show that either. The leadership was almost the same. So that putting this issue of Tur Kurds brings about the grievance. It's also how bargaining is happening. Let's not forget that the Director General of NATO already said that uh, despite what you said about the President of Finland, he said that we respect that they're legitimate concerns of Turkey. So they are not dismissing Turkey. That already gives Turkey some currency. What do they want? This Again, the word out there is it is not so much about Kurds. The Kurds brings out a, a grievance, puts Turkey's concerns, legitimate concerns, I'm quoting now Brussels, Turkey wants something else. Turkey wants concessions perhaps on uh, the the platforms, for example, the advanced F-16s, perhaps. Uh, they want, they were not very happy again. Another thing that is, look, from my perspective, President Erdogan looks at these problems holistically. He doesn't look at them. He looks at them. He remembers them. He remembers the S-400. Everybody says Turkey did wrong. Turkey says, no, we wanted to buy a system the Patriots that was not sold to us. We wanted certain systems with, with it. So they they want to be seen as not as a client, but rather as a partner. So now my view is that there may come to a time when this issue of uh, Finland and Sweden comes to a place where a decision has to be made, that Turkey may request one way or the other a concession, uh, could be from the United States, could be holistically from NATO, on uh, a, uh, you know, may, may not go to as far as getting back to the F-35s because that would be breaking a lot of rules for the U.S., but at least on this advanced platform of F-16 or some other sort of air defense. Uh, so it gets something. You see, that you have to understand that in my view that there is a lot of bargaining issues going on. You bring in the Kurdish issue. That's your grievance that you have hurt by. You get legitimacy from Brussels. Now you come in and say, okay, then in the back doors, you get something else that you have wanted. And then in the election, what you do is you already have said that I talked about the Kurds, which is a way, something he thinks is going to be important for Mr. Erdogan in the election. But then he gets something, if he gets it, a, a, a different version of F-16 or something else that he can show that here, Turkey was listened to. He needs to show something beyond the, the economy, specifically on foreign policy and Turkey's greatness. Turkey looks good, let me tell you. If there's an inflation there, which there is, uh, and there, it, it show, you know, what it does is for Mr. Erdogan, that's, that's very, very bad news. There's a lot of money in Turkey. I mean, you land in Turkish airports. Uh, I just landed from Istanbul to Frankfurt. It was... Frankfurt that looked like a much lesser, much affluent, much, honestly, I have to say, even much more uh, disorganized. I mean, Turkey is in, in a very good shape in that sense. It's, it's, things are working well, but there is very little, the money in the pocket of the middle class. This is where Mr. Erdogan wanted the elections. Not the elite, the elite is very much uh, with the CHP, which is the, the Republican Party, 
the World Secular Party. It is he, he wanted with the middle class, which he brought up from oblivion. They are the ones who are hurting. So he has to give him something else. And then if he plays with NATO, Turkey is, is made to be look more important. And he works with Russia somehow as, you know, offering that he become the peacemaker between President Zelensky and Putin. Even if that doesn't happen, it brings Turkey as a, not just as a regional power, like, but as a, as a, as a, as a very important part of the world community. He has to run on something. I think we have to bring in. Some people may think that the Turkey elections are are are, are not legitimate. There are are there some irregularities. There has been, but but elections do matter. And he, this election, this coming election for him is very very important. So he has to show something. Economy will not turn around. Whatever happens, Turkish economy in the sense of money in the pocket of the middle class is not going to go high before this election happens. So he has to have some symbolic thing. So think of it that way, I think it begins to make sense. So in in that regard, uh, so you laid out basically a, a process here, uh, using the, whether you call it plight or struggle against the Kurds uh, as, as a wedge issue to demonstrate grievance and using grievance to then put forth uh, additional demands. From basically uh, your position now in, in Greece, uh, you've been a German. Uh, what have you guys been hearing in terms of the the more general, let's say, Southeast Europe, but the more general European um, attitude towards one, basically Turkey's role in this conflict, but also from because you know a, a lot of people here in the U.S. when they think about NATO, you know, they think about the larger um, the larger countries to the west. So to the extent that you're you're getting into it. What is the Greek? What is the regional um, approach, uh, or basically understanding of not just Turkey's behavior, but also the war itself? Uh, because obviously, the Black Sea is going to be uh, is clearly a zone of contestation, and that changes the way that these countries have to conceive of their own security. I mean, we haven't started our meeting. We just got here to to Athens. Tomorrow is the. Uh, Tomorrow will be the first day, yeah. so we'll probably get a chance to start, you know, getting a better sense of the atmospherics, at least from people right. that are studying the problem, you know, here in the capital. The, the main, you were right that a lot of people out in the in, 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 in the U.S., perhaps, and even in Europe, uh, there are people who look at Turkey as an outlier. Physically, it's out in the east. Uh, some may even see NATO as a and the same thing that Europeans, if you remember when the application process of Turkey was there uh, at the time, the French president, uh, late former president, uh, Mr. Sarkozy, uh, almost said that definitely that Turkey would never become a member, no matter what they do, because they're, you know, basically majority Muslim country. Uh, some may say the same thing, that Turkey being a majority Muslim country is not the same as other NATO countries. It, it, this will be, of course, something that Russia would would love to to hold on if that's possible. Are there capitals in, in, in Europe that look at Turkey as a, a not in line with the rest of NATO? I'm sure there are. But talking about this particular capital where we are sitting right now, the 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 
I would say NATO, one of the biggest problems right now is beyond, you know, Turkey and Turkey's vote or not, you know, the, the, the this displeasure on Sweden and Finland is the Greco-Turkish relationship. Right now, it's it's become very personal between the, the Prime Minister of, of, of Greece, uh, Mr. Kyriakos Mesotakis, and President Erdogan. It also is touching on territory, on sovereignty. Uh, it, if it's not handled well, and, and if it becomes a issue of political uh, maneuvering for electioneering, it, it could put NATO in a in a uh, in a uh, very precarious position. And again, I, I I keep on bringing Russia here because if for Russia there will be nothing more pleasant than having a intra-NATO conflict. Especially if that conflict is not just words, or but it, it actually has some sort of 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 power showing, whether it is over flights or 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 more, or or uh, you know putting beacons on each other's planes and stuff like that. Uh, there has been some rapprochement, but uh, those have right now. Right now, things are not good. Uh, specifically after the speech that uh, the Prime Minister of Greece. Uh, Gave at the U.S. Uh, Congress, Mr. Erdogan has said publicly he's not, he doesn't even know who he is, and he's not going to talk to him. So, while that's stated, there is a lot of conversation going on on on, on various levels. Uh, Greece has taken a very different role. This is something that is very fundamental. The Greece, if you recall, was the most pro. I'm talking about NATO pre-expansions uh, during the Cold War. Greece was by far the most, not pro-Soviet Union, but the most lenient country within NATO alliance towards the Soviets. Always was. Uh, everybody talked, you know, the, the Greeks are the, from the same church group, the you know, Greek Orthodoxy, uh, the Russian help in Greek independence in, in 1821, and so on and so forth. I would say that there is a, a fundamental change in Greek politics. This is not a prime minister. This is not a trend. If you go to go to even Prime Minister Cyprus, who was a left wing, or you come to uh, Kyriakos Metsozakis, uh, who's right, pretty right, maybe middle right, but a little bit beyond middle right. It, it is almost seamless. Athens has walked away from Moscow. And regardless of the orthodox, you know, uh, relationship, the history, the Byzantine history, and all of that, and this is significant. I think this is significant. Why is it significant? Because there are people, if you are sitting in Ankara, you may think that by now some people in the West thinks, okay, Greece is now the real flank of NATO, and with Turkey, we just have to deal how we deal with them. Uh, they are part of NATO, but they are really that like the EU, they are not really a, a member. They are a member of NATO. They are, they've been there since fifties, but we don't trust them fully. I think that would be a wrong thing for for NATO alliance to look at Turkey as a kind of a rogue or not full member. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you hear that from Athens' perspective that shows cases itself as the 
the true Western. I I don't want to say these things. I'm sitting in this country, and tomorrow I'm going to be meeting them. But the true Western ally of NATO, and here's Turkey, and then by Athens moving away from Moscow. And as I say, in my view, at least, this is fundamental. This is not a political trend anymore. Uh, it can show that this is now in the West solidly. It's not. It's not the Greece of old that had this always this kind of a soft side for for the Russian. Uh, so I think that's that's something that we need to, to pay attention to. And the power that plays the most significantly in this is the country we go after this as uh, as uh, France. Uh, the French seem to be playing a a much more vocal uh, and active showing the flag, if you would, uh, on the side of the Greeks. Uh, so this is where you 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 and, and you, when you hear President Erdogan talking about them talking thus, he's talk he's talking about the French. So I think because you know we are talking about Russia in this case for Russia, when they see these rifts coming out. They may look at how to make sure those rifts become wider. And in my view, for us, from the Western perspective, and from I'm personally a, a, a big fan of NATO as a whole, uh, we, we we ought to look at how to. I know Turkey is not an easy case to handle, but how to manage it uh, to make sure that Turkey doesn't rift away and the Greek-Turkish relationship doesn't come to. I mean, there's always. It ups and downs, but the ups and downs are, are verbal and not. Uh, they don't create more manifest themselves in any kind of a military. I'm not saying invasion or something, but you know, overflights. There's a lot of overflights over each other's territory, especially Turks are now flying over Greek islands, uh, and 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 that needs to be dealt at the NATO level. Uh, and regardless of anything else, because these are two NATO members, they were brought in together uh, at the, you know, at the southern flank in 1952. I think we need to revisit that in leadership. The United States and whoever else wants to lead with us, or, or somebody else takes the lead, to make sure that this is not pushed aside. Right now, I I I I, I see right now in Athens a frustration with Turks. And and I see in the in Ankara almost a, a the Greeks are very weak. We can deal with them. If NATO doesn't want to deal with them, we know how to deal with them. That's not a good thing. Okay, so I mean, in in that regard, when thinking about this war, basically crystallizing, basically a, a much more polarized security environment of Athens, not just as a political trend, but as a essentially structural condition moving away from and Greek and uh, Turkey yes. playing a let's say more idiosyncratic role uh, as long as Erdogan's in power what is your sense of how this war as we're you know we're now into the uh, the fifth month of it it'll last for more months year who, who knows how long this will last so in terms of thinking about what this war has done Clearly, it's changing the security considerations for many states. So, right. short term, you know, up until the end of this summer, medium term, you know, up to a year from now, long term into the future, how does this war change the provision of security in the Black Sea and in the Eastern Mediterranean? Uh, let's start with the Black Sea because that's more complicated uh, it, it, because Turkey has. 
you know, a key to to who goes who doesn't go if the war continues and how they they move about the Montreal Convention. I think I think uh, in in our environment now I come back to our being the TME environment. We need to look more at, at ways and means of, of how to look at this legalistically. Uh, it's not a very straightforward uh, convention. It was done with a lot of political, you know, uh, you know, political maneuvering. How to how to make sure the Turks have sovereignty and nobody else, uh, on how to make sure that NATO has a a way to maintain security. Should there be not security of Ukraine? But other NATO members, including Turkey itself, uh, that, are, that are the trolls of the Black Sea. The other thing in the, in the Black Sea is I don't think Turkey I would like to see Ukraine become a, a non-existent littoral, meaning Odessa falling. Uh, what Turkey do militarily, I don't think Turkey would do anything militarily against Russia. I don't think I think that's absolutely not going to happen. But I think they are going to make it very hard on Russia within the legal map means that they have uh, to deny Russia the power to extend this war uh, for what they have to further west to to take over Odessa. Because if Odessa is over, Ukraine becomes a, a landlocked country pretty much. Uh, and no, no access to that changes the whole environment. Then, for Turkey long term, then basically they are they are dealing with a much stronger Russia, and no counterbalancing. I don't think they want that. What can they do with that? I don't know. Overall, Black Sea beyond beyond these two countries, Russia and Turkey. Again, as I say, that it matters uh, whether we outside countries can can even bring in supplies. If we can't, there's not much we can do to ensure security other than intelligence or, or, or things from the outside, but we can't actually bring assets in there. Uh, that's a big decision for Turkey. If they if they decide to change that and allow, then we are talking about a whole different, then we do wargaming and to what assets you put in the Black Sea and whose assets and at what capacity. Now, coming to Eastern Med, I think Eastern Med has more a potential of doing good because in Black Sea right now, I, I I I don't see anything positive happening except Russia not taking over Odessa for 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 the Western perspective. Uh, for Eastern Med has positivities. Where are the positivities? Let me let me start with with the negative. The biggest negative is is, is the issue of Cyprus is not dealt with. And I don't think anybody thinks that under the current circumstances, we can solve the divided island. One side, like a EU country, uh, a, a sovereign country, the other side, a you know, country that only one country, you know, only Turkey recognizes it, but sits there and it claims its own territorial waters, the northern part of Cyprus. But solving is one thing, managing that conflict is different. How are we going to be able to manage that conflict? And here again, a working relationship between Athens and Ankara is important. Without it, that's not going to be possible. They have to agree, and then the Cypriots can be brought in or not brought into the table. And even there, there is no guarantee, but at least that's the start. The positives. First of all, there's a lot of 
we still don't know exactly how much uh, hydrocarbons is under the black, I mean, the Eastern Med, but there's quite a bit of material, especially given the fact that Russia is now becoming a harder choice for Europeans to explore for their future security of, of oil and gas, especially gas in this case. Uh, I think there's more reason to use Eastern Mediterranean as a potential not to not to offset Russia, but augment some of the losses. And that makes Eastern Mediterranean a, 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 a not only a sea of fear, but a sea of, of, of opportunity. There's also other positives. For example, there's a relation, I mean, Israel and Lebanon do not even have a, a official relationship. They're officially at war, if you would, but yet they're talking about their maritime uh, with with United States uh, mediation on the maritime boundary. That is a big thing. It actually is bringing in the Lebanese on a very specific thing. Both countries have decided that they only will talk about that and nothing else. This is not recognition. This is not uh, end of hostilities, all of that. But Hezbollah, we know, is part of major part of the realities in Lebanon, yet they're, they're all there. So which means you can bring in peacemaking while countries are not at peace because there's a potential economic benefit. The other issue is, is uh, the potential of bringing in Turkey to the, the gas forum. The gas forum, when it was the Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum, which is based in Cairo, when it was formed, it was almost, when it was formed to entice Turkey to come inside and join or to tell Turkey that we can do it without you, Turkey saw it as the latter, that we can have these countries, Egypt, Israel, Jordan, uh, the French, the Italians, and we can explore these seas in Europe alone. It did not work. Working to bring Turkey into this forum, I think would also give Turkey, which is highly dependent on Russian oil, a, a choice. Don't forget, where Turkey gets all this oil? Russia and Iran. And both of them are sanctioned. I mean, Turkey is the 15th largest economy in the world. Uh, they need to have commodities like oil and gas come into them. They don't have they have a lot of things going for them. That's not one of them. They don't have any indigenous capacities. Russians are building the nuclear plants, but that's like now kind of later. So to bring in Turkey as part of this maneuvering, there's another positive is Turkey-Israel relationship. It's been it's been on the highest levels. It's, it's moving towards the right direction. The the way President Erdogan invited uh, his counterpart. President Herzog of Israel, and the way he was treated here was unprecedented. I mean, he gave him as as, as a red carpet as, a, as anybody has gotten. So there is a way to there. They're trying to, there's no ambassador yet in, 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 in Tel Aviv, but uh, they have, they have uh, an ECM, and there's a lot of maneuvering going on. So with Israel coming in there again, because Israel has a lot of the chunk of that gas, Working with Egypt, there's also the relationship between Egypt and, and Turkey are getting better. Not yet that the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Turkey are getting better. 
relationship between the United Arab Emirates and Turkey are getting better. So there's those positives. Those were all countries that were kind of trying to be at the anti-Turkish bloc. Except Greece, all of them are now changing. UAE has changed officially. Uh, Saudi Arabia, the the, the uh, as Mohammed bin Salman will make a trip to Turkey very soon. He will go to Greece as well, which is showing that he's still balancing. But there are, there are changes happening, which is positive, and these changes will also have a major impact on the on the geopolitical Eastern Mediterranean, not just the gas and oil, but the peace buildings. I see there is a positivity. What it needs is is forward-looking, and again, in my view, making sure that Turkey is not seen always as a as a stumbling block or oh, what we're going to do with them. Because if we do that, it is a very large country with a very large economy and a large military. Uh, and let's not forget, while right now they're playing this balancing, and I'll end by that, with Russia and the West, you know, they are West, but they're kind of working with Russia, that could shift fundamentally if they are pushed to a corner. Uh, and that's not going to be good for anybody. I will leave it at that. Okay. So I think that'll be a good place to to pause for the episode. Uh, maybe in maybe a month or two, we'll sort of, uh, we'll have another episode and to assess how, you know, let's say as we're getting to the six month anniversary of the conflict, um, how Russia's performance has shaped its ability to sustain its commitments. Um, in Syria, and what is as we get further and further along, Russia as a global actor, how is it done well, done poorly, etc. But um, but thank you. I also know that it's getting late for uh, for you guys in in Athens. So uh, thanks for coming on, and I'll turn it back over to uh, to Ian. Thank, thank you, Brown. Please. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you, Yuval, and thank you, uh, Dr. Tarzi, and thank you, John, uh, certainly for staying up late after a day of extended travel. And I'd be remiss if we didn't wish Dr. Tarzi an early happy birthday, which he'll be celebrating tomorrow, which is kind of why we wanted to talk to him tonight, just to make sure we could clear his schedule for uh, for appropriate yeah. celebrations tomorrow. And yeah, yeah. Uh, they're in a, in a different city, but but Athens, I I, I, I like the city, so it's, and I have a companion, so make sure he's well taken care of. It's always always good to have a liberty buddy. So uh, it's uh, I'm I'm sure you guys will be will be just fine. Safety and, person, uh, I, birthday. Yes. <laughs> um, and, go ahead. Sorry, you know, as, as uh, Dr. Weber mentioned about Syria, uh, perhaps not now, in a couple of months or so, uh, we made, uh, we have some very good meetings lined up in France as well. And here tomorrow, uh, you know, after this, when we kind of uh, look at all of them, uh, can can discuss what what is going on in that 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 side of it. Uh, I think the French perspective may may be important because uh, they are playing as NATO wise. They are becoming the, the a major player. I mean, they were always there. There's, that's where their major forces are all based. Uh, but uh, the naval forces. But it's just to see their perspective of how they see this balancing uh, future. We can do that some some later yeah. time. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I was you 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 got right. You were in my head because I was about to say when you all get back, we need to sit down and and you know hear what hear what you heard, right? Um, so definitely, we'll we'll throw that on the schedule.
at your convenience because I think you'll be back and then we'll go into the fourth of July weekend. But as soon as we're we're all back together, back at work, no, definitely want to um, to pick your brains and and hear what what you're out there for, you know, because you you haven't done the meetings yet. So when you do yeah. the meetings, let's find out what was going on there. All right. Thank and, you. And, yeah. Um, all right. Great. So thank you, everybody. Uh, hey, you've all always good to see you in twice in a weekend is, you know, that's that's not it's not my birthday, but, you know, that's pretty good. So um, uh, thank you all, gentlemen. Um, get yourself some sleep tonight so you can uh, um, go forth and execute these things with some sort of rest as well as be rested for for birthday celebrations tomorrow. And to our thank audience, you. as always, thank you for uh, for joining us. We're for all. Uh, we're we're lucky we get to do a couple of these here back to back. Um, well, it certainly won't be probably the, the standard, uh, but we like to get back into sort of a tempo of doing these more frequently. So this this is a down payment on that. All right. Thank, um, you, thank, you. thank you for what you're doing for Good night. education. And, and uh, you know, we have we have Dr. Weber there that's uh, expanding our minds because this is this is uh, every day you hear one thing and you kind of put back your head and see why why has this happened and it's always good to discuss it uh, and, and see where it is but thank you and uh uh we say now we really say <laughs> bye bye all right take care bye